Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Last week, the message title, not that I'm big on titles at all, I'm not. Uh, it probably didn't resonate, the title didn't really match the, the context, but it does this week uh, in the two-parter. So I'm going to be talking about resting on our laurels. Uh, again, in this context, like resting our laurels, meaning, you no, know, as in a race, you would get a laurel reef. We spoke about that at the end of chapter nine, where in Corinth they had, there were loads of games, the Isthmus games, just second only to the Olympic games. And then when the, the runner, you would see it, uh, they would have this wreath around them. It was made of celery, incidentally, thorns and then celery. But it's like a laurel reef. You used to get it in the Formula One racing, you know. And sometimes, so basically the, the statement to rest in your laurels is, is to really be too confident in past wins that you take your foot off the gas. That's actually a better statement, isn't it? Just getting too confident in your past wins that you stop being living as deliberately as you should. And I think at this time, especially as we hit January and where we're at, uh, I was talking to a gentleman yesterday, he says, everybody hates January, he says, I like it. Uh, and, and it got my ears pricked and I says to him, I says, why do you like it so much for? He says, it gets me back into my normal routine. There you go. Uh, and, and there's a benefit in that. No, I used to be terrible at, no, when I lived a life that was other than with God. No, and I used to say, I hated Sunday nights. Because I was such a, a, escapism was so part of my life. That the thought, uh, that, that song, do, 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 heartbeat, Sunday night, depression beat, right? <laughs> No, I mean, depression beat, heartbeat, do, 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 do. I knew that meant closer to a nightmare for me. I knew that meant closer to having to go back and face reality on Monday. So I would just draw it out. Sunday night was my late night. Because if I went to sleep, I knew when I got up again, I would be like, that's work. So I'd try and stay up to about six in the morning. Milk the weekend before I had to go back to reality. Uh, but resting in laurels really is what the Corinths were doing and starting to do. And what they had long done since Paul left, they'd started to rest in their laurels. They'd started to live a life where they were believers. Nobody was questioning that. No, even through Paul's letter, he's calling them brethren, my beloved, my dear brothers and sisters. He's not saying that they're not saved. He's saying that they've started to take for granted the, the things of God and started to meld and mould things and the world started to entrench them. And ideas have started to entrench them. And habits, old habits die hard. Uh, they've started to entrench them again. And what they've done is they've, they've synchronised uh, God's ways with their world. And that, that's kind of where we're at the day in society and the church today. What's happened is, is the church, the modern church is really, this, this was classed as heresy way back syncretism well what they would do is, is they would sync the worldly ideas and godly ideas and they would mix it together and they would create uh, a newfound way it's like newfound christianity or modern christianity or deconstructing jesus whatever it was called and the corinthians were doing that what they were doing is, is just as they were in the old testament we talked about um, last week where in the wilderness they were making false gods and what they were doing is they were sinking God, taking the world and taking God and, and kind of mixing it together and still saying, well, we're still believers. 
And there's a danger in that because it, you're not aware of temptation when it comes. You cannot flee temptation. Uh, you're not aware when situations arise. And, and that's really just as the first part of the, the new year and the first service of the new year are where I want to go this morning and just conclude with the last few verses. Um, we started chapter 10 at breakneck speed, 13 verses. Uh, that's a rare thing to do. No, no, I've just had to put the brakes on a wee bit and just make sure that have we got everything, have we wrung that dry? I was reading Jonathan Edwards during the week and he, among other things, some people said he was a prolixus. I don't know if you know what the word prolixus means. The word prolixus means, that, here's the North Lanarkshire definition of prolixus. You don't need to keep on banging on about it. <laughs> uh, right, that's prolixus. No, you don't need to keep on banging on about it, I get it. I'm, I, if MD had to describe me, most people that know me would describe me, they would say, he's very prolixous. He just bangs on about it non-stop. You're always like, I have got it. But you just keep on saying it and saying it and saying it. Almost to the point of view, you're annoyed. And Jonathan Edwards then was asked, why are you so prolixous? And he says, he says this, I love it. He says, well, I keep on knocking on the door and nobody opens it. End quote. Or in other words, I know they're not fully getting it the way they should. Or I know no, they're not getting it the depth and what they need to. Therefore, it's almost certain that they'll keep on doing it and go back to the return to their vomit. If somebody's prolixes, they're a, they're, a great, they're a great blessing in your life. They probably see that you're nodding. You know how children do that, didn't they? They go like that. Do you know what? Do you understand? Uh-huh. They're like, no, why not? No, they don't. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Are you sure? Yes. And right, tell me then, I'm naughty. I've not to do it again. And then just repeat what you've said. It doesn't mean anything to them. The, the, the lights are on, but nobody's in. Yeah. Do you know that's wrong? Yes. Are you sure? And you're talking to them. You're talking to them in your prolixes. <laughs> Mindset going, I know they're not on board. I, I know they're, they're saying anything not to get punished. They're saying anything to shut you up. They're saying anything to get you to it. And therefore, when we exegete God's word, we have to be in detail. Maybe not as much as some of the, the, the old Puritans. Uh, Anthony Burgess, Anthony Burgess had 162 sermons. On John 17. That's extreme. Okay, that's extreme. You know, he's ringing out everything there. You know, Thomas Manton, I think he had about 100 and odd. You know, he's, he's got 182 pages in one line, one verse. You know, they, these guys wrung things dry. And hence why... As much as we want to get through it, there has to be a flow, but, but we have to remain making sure that we're learning and I believe drawing everything that we can for the information. Uh, sometimes things are not fully opened as well as they could be uh, and we have to spare a bit more time. Hence why this morning, rather than just going to verse 14, which I may touch on, uh, I, I want to just stay in those last thoughts of, of, of verse 13, which I'll read shortly. At the end of chapter 9, Paul tells the Corinthians and warns them of the danger of both running and walking the wrong race with the wrong, wrong goals. Basically doing things for selfish reasons. 
Uh, and they, they call it this for perishable things, for things that are fleeting, for things that's here today, gone tomorrow, for things that don't any any lasting effect in your life, things that don't really gain any anything that would lead to a deeper spiritual walk or more freedom. I think if we ask ourselves this in life, yeah, how much time do we spend rhetorical? I'm, I'm not looking for answers back here. Just just in yourself, think how many times. How much time do you think you spend in things that don't really benefit your soul? Just, well, I mean, at any depth, I mean, I'm not talking about benefit your feelings for five minutes. Malik, your list would be like, that's the things that I do that benefit my, that's why you need to keep doing them. I, I, I've got things that length, the length of my arm that benefits my flesh for a moment in time. But things that deeply benefit my soul and draw me closer to God, I ponder name little. And what was happening in the Corinthian churches is they were running a race for things that were fleeting, here today, gone tomorrow, perishable things, things that you can't take with you, things that are no beneficial to your life for a more peaceful life, a more content life, just fleeting things, running for the wrong goal, perishable things, worldly, carnal things, really in a sense, running after feelings. We live in a world, and certainly the Corinthian church was like it, uh, and the church, the modern church today, the pragmatic church is very much like it. We've really got a God that's trying to get us our feelings met. It's all about feelings and how we feel, and we're prisoner to our feelings. And at the start of chapter 9, he then, as we went over last week, gives a, an example for history just in case they thought that they were unique or somehow they could get away with living a life um, that others never get away with. I think that's a great delusion that we have as humans at times, that, that we think we'll get away with things that other people never get away with. <laughs> you know, because somehow we've, we've, we've compromised in our mind or we're brilliant salesmen or we've not thought deeply enough that somehow we think what we do won't have the same detrimental effect as what somebody else does, even though we're doing the exact same thing. You know, and so therefore Paul then gives a history lesson to the Corinthians, and, and the parallels are, are astounding and uh, how the Corinthians lived compared to how the Israelites lived in the wilderness after God, after God had led Moses out the wilderness. No, I've always said this, and I was talking to Fraser during the week that about freedom. That, and it's always been a contention in mind that when the Israelites left the captive Pharaoh in Egypt, they were four hundred and thirty years in captivity. They were less than forty days without Moses, and they decided things were terrible. Now they've got really short memory spans, but but the point is that I've always felt that see. If, or I've always believed in, in the teaching in this, don't want to say felt, that see if, see if, the Israel, if it wasn't for God hardening Pharaoh's heart, the Israelites wouldn't have left. They would have put up with anything. So really the Israelites never left captivity. Doors closed that made them no be able to go back. See that kind of spirit, you'll always go back to captivity. I'll give you an example. Over the years, I've met people, I've pastored people, I've counselled people who get into the most horrendous dysfunctional relationships. 
Okay? A blind man for 50 yards in the dark would see that it's not working. Yeah? And I've, I've, I've encountered this many times where the person says, that's me, we've split up now, I'm okay now. I always say this, who left who? Who left who? See when they say, they left me, I always know they'll always go back. Because they've not actually done the leaving. They've no made the decision to leave. The, the decision's been put upon them. When the Israelites left Israel, it was because God had hardened their heart, and rightly so. But because they had such a captive mindset, because captivity is no geographical, isn't it? No. no, lack of freedom's no geographical. That's why it doesn't matter where you live. If you're no free, you're no free. No, you, you, it doesn't matter where you live. If if you've got a if you've got an ongoing condition, you've got an ongoing condition, regardless of where, ge geographically where you go. You know they talk about that in recovery meetings. They talk about the geographical changes. <laughs> the geographical changes don't really change anything because you've not changed, but you think you've changed. And what starts to happen then is is that you think you're free when really you're still captive, because your freedom is based on what somebody else does and knowing what you do. And people who think they can get free based on what's circumstantial, what somebody else does, never really get free. So even though the Israelites were somewhat at the right side, the right side of Egypt or the, the other side of Egypt, i.e. in the wilderness, 11 days journey for the promised land, it didn't take them very long before they went back to their vomit. Because they weren't really living a free life. They were just, they were living a free life based on what somebody else was doing, knowing what they were doing. Uh, and many still, even as believers, were still living a life based in, uh, based in being driven by what somebody else is doing, rather than what we're doing and taking ownership of our situation or dilemma. Okay, just, just that's a thought. So at the start of chapter 10, Paul then gives us a history example of that exact thing, where the life of the exiled Israelites in the wilderness, where they stop running and walking uh, very quickly because they forgot who God was and what he had done. No, got a really short memory span uh, of, of God's provision. And instead, because of that, and they can't handle how they feel, they can't handle pain, they can't handle uh, no being told what to do all the time, they can't handle having man as their idol, because Moses leaves, then not he? And he goes up the mountain uh, to receive the Ten Commandments. And he's no away 40 days. Uh, because after 40 days, God says, you better go back down there. Look at the state of them. And that's really what he says if you read it. No, look, at the, look at the nick of them. You've hardly been away and they've started to create a false God very quickly. By creating a God of their own values. Who they can worship. Uh, so they're now worshipping what they made. Rather than who made them. That's the difference. They're worshipping what they made. Rather than who made them. Why? Because man had left them. Moses went up the mountain. And long before that, they started to create their own God. They started to worship differently. Maybe we're not focusing God. You start to worship differently. Uh, I was in a place yesterday and there was a, a Christian song on. I was like, oh, I would, I would just put that off. Because it was anything but Christian. It was delirious. You'd need to be delirious to listen to that stuff. But I did. You know, I thought it was bang on. No, and it was, I think his song was History Maker or something. No, it's absolute nonsensical. But when you've got the wrong view of God, then you've got the wrong view of worship. <laughs> Simple as that. 
So you start to worship differently, act differently, you start to mould and meld God into your own ideology. You start to speak differently. You're no worship accurately, you start to speak differently. Most of us tell the truth, we don't speak, we don't speak out there the way we speak in here. Never mind anything else. You start to value differently. This is what was happening to the Corinthians. This was what happened to the Israelites. Amazing how quickly a person can change when the God of the Bible is changed to a God of the flesh. Or a God of their design or a God of their own fashion. Everything about us changes. Not just, not just, not just God, everything changes. The things and ways of God get changed into some new way, new ideals. New things that we think will bring us freedom. Things that we think will bring us joy that doesn't bring us joy. Uh, that starts to manifest and grow. Some of you will experience that over the holidays as you start to do other things and you become enmeshed in that and embracing it. Subtly, of course, which is really where I'm going to go and conclude with the subtleties of that stuff. Paul in chapter 10 gives the Corinthians unreserved parallels there for of what man did back in the wilderness to what they're doing now. And then Paul reminds them, it didn't go well for them. What makes you think it's going to go well for you? Ah, but we'll, we'll be all right. I'll watch. You, know, you sell yourself that crazy lie. Ah, but I, but it's a bit different for me. I'm not doing the exact same thing. No, I'm still, no, I'm not in the wilderness. I'm still going to church. And Paul reminds them, he says, 23,000 died in one day. And he says, 23,000 fell in one day. And as Paul concludes the first section of the chapter 10, he, up to verse 12 and 13, he ends with a warning. In these last two verses, is where we'll just stay for the time we've got left. When we had a break over the holidays, these verses probably come even more into play. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands... Take heed lest he fall. Let him who rests in his laurels, him who takes who God is and everything that he's done for them, no ever take it for granted or forget it, is what Paul's saying. Or think duty and being saved and rescued and starting to be on the right track can simply even for a moment or a season or a short time compromise and live how they want. He concludes with words of comfort, but, and also words of understanding. Because he's not saying temptation won't come. Uh, we're not saying that these things won't come upon you and become a battle and something. No, he's, he's letting them know, like I understand. But he says this, no temptation has overtaken you, such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. No matter how faithful, it's certain as long as we are in this world that temptation will come. That we will have trials, temptations. We've all got them. We're no unique. This isn't unique. Hence why Paul's reminding me something that happened a thousand years prior before. It's, it's going to happen. 
Often we act like our situation or our temptations, our trials are worse. That's what happens when we start isolating ourselves. Ah, but, but you don't understand. No, we do. Ah, but, but, but you don't understand what it's like for me. This is, this is a justification. All oh, right, okay. But it's different for me because I'm on my own. And it's different for me because I've, I've no... You see that's how we sell ourselves, that it's different? Ah, but, but, but I'm in this unique situation. And no, we become self-obsessed with the situation as if it's totally unique to us. And Paul says, Paul tells him, you're not facing anything that's no common to every man. But we've made it unique. And one of the reasons we make it unique for us is because that's one of the great justifications and no overcoming it. One of the great justifications in no overcoming something is it's very unique to me. It's very unusual to me. It's not unusual. Often Christians on tour, this happens all the time in Christians on tour. This is Christians that have no fixed abode in church. They're just nothing near me. That's what they always say. Do you know what I always say to them? I'll find you one. I'll find you one. There's nothing near me. I bet you there is. It might not be perfect. Because there's no church perfect. Never allow a Christian to tell you there's no decent churches near them. Get them by the hand and go and fund them one. Otherwise they will stumble all the way through. It's a submission problem they've got. Because their problem's unique. Problem. I'll go, I'll go and find you one. It might not be perfect. The next Christian that tells you they've no fun of church, it's okay. You're not doing your duty if you don't go and find them one. To remove the excuses why they're procrastinating and why they've got a submission problem. They're fashioning a God of their own understanding. That's what will start happening, I guarantee you. Now that doesn't mean to say they weren't a part of a church that caused them trouble. Or part of a church where something happened that wasn't ideal. Doesn't matter where you go, you always meet somebody that's going like, oh, we go to conferences and say, oh, you can't do anything, it's a dark place. That's dark there, you know, you don't realise what it's like here. We were at a conference recently and a guy lived in Stranraer. Stranraer, you don't understand Stranraer. Don't understand Stranraer. I actually don't. No, but yeah, you don't understand Stranraer. There's nothing there. One road in, one road out. He's trying to sell us to go. He's like, they're properly for sale there, it's cheap. He started to recruit everybody at the conference to move to Stranraer. But like, you're trying to go and you want us in. Oh, no, I never said that, but... The point is, he, he was making all sorts of reasons. Oh, Belsall, dark. Motherwell, you've got 4G. It's dark. <laughs> Doesn't matter where you go, you find somewhere. Always somewhere. No, there is bad. Always excuses. You're like, I'll tell you what, if I find you a church in the next week that I believe they're preaching God's word, might not be the greatest church, it might not lead the greatest worship, it might not be of the nicest coffee. It might, but see, faithful men are preaching God's word and I find it, will you go? Well, you go. I bet, and the chances are they won't. Because they've manoeuvred it. They've, they've found out a way to justify how they live. And it won't help. Often we act like our situations 
our temptations and our trials are worse than MDLCs. And it causes us to what? Dwell too long in that area of temptation that temptation takes over us and leads us to sin. Temptation's no sin. Dwelling in it. Dwelling in it will most certainly will. Yet God always offers an escape. That word escape should be in block capitals in that verse. Escape. There's always an escape. If you look at your life and when you choose to sin, you ask yourself, at any point during you choosing to do the wrong thing, will there an escape? You have to go to some length to ignore the escape. Exit. It's almost like if a believer, you'll be like, there's always an exit in there. I'm not choosing the exit. You don't just not choose the exit. Then you hide that there wasn't an exit. No, the exit was there. There was a bright light saying exit. There was an escape for the temptation. I never seen it. I never seen it. There's not a man that's no common to man that does they come under temptation where you don't see an escape exit. You have to then go to lens to no leave. No, no, I want to dwell in it. No, I want to remain in it. No, I want to, I want to stay here. I want to, I want to solve this. I want to fix it. I want to, whatever it may be, it goes on in your life. Yet God always, always offers an escape, a way out, a way fleeing for it. G. Campbell Morgan writes, If we stay in the neighbourhood of the temptation, we lower the standard of our liberty and may fall even though we think we still stand. End quote. Isn't that amazing? You lower the standard of your liberty. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. No, to be what? Yoked again to your bondage of slavery. You weaken your freedom. You don't get more freedom by sticking to temptation. You lessen your freedom. And it's true, and it's the opposite. It's like a dichotomy. You don't, you don't get more freedom by staying in the vicinity of temptation. You lose that freedom. You limit it. You become more contained. Ask yourself when you've yielded to temptation if you feel more freer as a human being. And then ask yourself the question, if you feel more freer, why are you hiding? No, I really feel free. Oh, you feel free? Go and let me see your phone. <laughs> Sorry to be crass. Well, no, I'm no. Do you feel more free? Yeah, it's just how I feel. Go and give me your phone. If you're that free. If you're that free, why are you hiding it for Christians? If you're that free, why don't you date around the buzz? I sometimes say to folk, do you think that's okay? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I says, come on, date in church then. Oh, no. <laughs> do you think that's all right? I think it's okay. Come on, date here then. There was a young man in my life years ago and he, he passed. And I was not the Christian, I was, I was young, very young in my faith, and I, I just came to faith, but I'm, I'm not making excuses for me here, I, I should have been a better example. And he came to our church, the church I was in at the time, and he went back into the world and got caught up with, he, he went to Reiki, that's where it started, which you know what happened, he went to Reiki, nothing wrong with Reiki, yeah? this is what happened to this young guy, I'm not making this up for effect, this is what happened. He went to a Reiki because it was just relaxation. Really? 
really, really, hug a tree, relaxation, is it? He went, so he went to Reiki where they were Reiki, it was meditation, yoga. Reiki, so in the same vicinity. There's some churches have yoga classes, are you kidding me on? You're in the vicinity. Ah, but I'm, it's just exercise, is it? I'll go on a treadmill then. You need to trace the route. You get into the vicinity yet. So what happens is he goes to Reiki, he says, there's nothing wrong with it. So he started going to Reiki, he was coming to church, the young guy. I loved him dearly. And I still miss him and I think about him regularly. I hope he's with the Lord. I really do hope he's with the Lord. And I don't know how genuine he's... he's his salvation was and the reason the lack of genuine I don't know how lack of genuine was because I was part of a church when it was hands up give your life to the Lord which doesn't really so but he, it was so soon after he'd done that that he that he got in tow with these Reiki folk so I remember I was sitting in the works van with him and I says to him he says oh, it's alright and he was justifying why he was going to these no it's quite good you know it's just I find it relaxing I says can I come tonight he says, what? I says, I want to come. Let me come with you. I'll come. Oh, I don't know if you'd like it. I says, let me come. If it's that good, you should be all right with me being there. No, no, I wouldn't go. Oh, well, you can't come. It's, it's invite only. There wasn't the invite only. It was, he didn't want me there. Because he knew it wasn't God. This is what happened to the young boy. I've not even got this. No, it's not in my notes. I didn't even know I was going to say it. But anyway, it's not about me. Within a month, he went back onto drugs. And he was back on cocaine. Within a month. And he was found in a park in Hamilton. Between Hamilton and Motherwell, you know the fishing there? He was a phenomenal fisherman. I don't know about fishing, but he was the best I've ever seen. And to all intents and purposes, everybody said that I met said they were the best he's ever seen. And he went fishing, but he was back on the cocaine back on that stuff and he took a cane, he took a massive heart attack and died outside of the water. That's what happened to him. That, that, that escape he had, he chose not to take it and he made it that Reiki was no problem. It's a problem guys. You're in the vicinity of something that's not of God, it becomes a problem. This is what was happening in Israel. This is what's happened with the Israelites. They were still in the vicinity. The Corinthians were on the vicinity doing godly stuff without doing godly stuff. They started to compromise on communion and different stuff, which we'll get to in chapter 11 uh, as we move on. If we stay in the neighbourhood, therefore, Campbell Morgan writes, of the temptation, we lower the standard of our liberty and we may fall even though we may stand. And that point he, that Morgan's making is, is that we may fall even though we think we'll stand. The word's no may, really. No, if you, if you, when you read intelligent Christian writers, when the word may, they mean you will. <laughs> and when he's writing that and he's saying, you may fall even though you may stand. You, uh, in the delusion and in the confusion and in you're selling yourself a bad idea, like that young man did who I just told you about, he thinks he's still standing in God. He still thinks he's doing the right thing when he's not doing the right thing. I would add, if we succumb to temptation, which we almost certainly will if we don't flee and run towards unperishable things, then we will fall. But you'll still act as if you're running. And there comes the big danger 
when we yield to temptation and sin and we fall into the path of sin, you still act to the world as if you're still, especially your brothers and sisters, you need to come here and act as if you're still running. And you fail. And you're not running. But you want to send a signal to the believer that you're still running so that they don't detect that you fail. Does that make sense? Did we get with you? You're lying. Many do so by justifying, also justifying their actions. Moving God to a place where they still think they can act like being faithful. Well, they're not. You know, long, 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 long before a believer flees and runs to the world to pursue their sin, they live way here. Long before. They live way here. Long, long before. And pretend they're still running. <laughs> Act like they're still running. And the way they can live with it by acting that they're still living. Is in their mind they've justified what they're doing. Is no as bad as what anybody else would think it was. Here's a common one. They didn't mean anything to me. What? You, you see that in stupid movies, didn't you? And you see it and stuff. What do you mean they didn't mean anything to you? Or oh, the relationship, it was just a nothing thing. It was a nothing thing. Didn't mean anything to you. There were no depth to it. I'm not born about the depth to it. We're not looking for a Mills and Boone story here. <laughs> Some of you don't even know what that is. It's like wee romantic books. No, uh, no that I read them, by the way. <laughs> Never read one in my life. All right, if you want to learn them. Some, all the young guys had commando books, you know what I mean? Add Mills and Boone, you know. Call me an old romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Just to find their actions. And, and what they're actually doing is they're moving God to a place. So they, they start to fashion God. So that you still look like you're functioning like a faithful runner. And, who, and thinking this, the heart is wicked above all things. Hebrews, who can know it? I'll tell you, me. And when, when, when Paul says 23,000 fell that day, he's saying, God's seen it. You may be kidding on to some of the people some of the time, but you can't kid on to God any time. So they had a route for escape, but choose not to take it. But still acted and ran and behaved as if they were free when they were anything but free. When the Israelites started worshipping the earrings, took the earrings, the gold earrings. They turned them into a golden calf, started worshipping I mean, it's hideous, isn't it? It says after they worshipped the wrong thing, did you hear this? It says they went out to play. Oh, see, when you start worshipping the wrong thing, I'll guarantee you the next thing your day is good and play. And see, when I say out and play, we're not we're no, we're no talking about ringer, ringer roses here. Okay? You start to worship the wrong thing, you will go and play after it. Meaning, the after the worship service, they went out and entertained themselves. It's not what we do in here that matters. It's how we entertain ourselves when we leave here. Exodus 32, 5 and 6. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. I mean, he's a guy who should be leading them here. He's, he's such a weak leader, this guy. That he's, he's, he's entertaining the ideas of the congregation to keep them happy. They're just a wee... They're just a wee thought for what we see in the church today. You know what? There's many a minister and many a pastor just doing what the congregation want just to keep them happy. 
So they create a worship to suit them. I've been in church where somebody should never be on the platform, ever. Is getting a mic on the platform to lead a congregation in worship because they're no happy if they don't get a mic. And you've got ministers that are so weak, like Aaron, saying, ah, sorry, I'll give me a pair of earrings and I'll make you one. You can come up here and sing. As if that's going to help them. I've been in churches where unbelievers have got the mic. Yeah. To try and get them more committed. Really? I've been in churches where women get mic. We used to. Forbid not a woman to preach. We'll, we'll get to that in chapter 14. So this is what Aaron says. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Just, just created a new feast. Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Let's, let's just decide. We're creating a worship service. You're creating a worship service. Then they rose early the next day, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings. So they're doing stuff within the vicinity of being Christian, or in their case, considering that they're Jewish, they're, they're Judaism, they're, they're, they're doing all the right things to an extent. Brought a peace offering even. And the people sat down to eat and drink. But here's, the, here's what happens right at the next part. But then they rose up to play. The word play in Hebrew is... It's, it's, it's always like Aunt Hebrew. It's, it's, it's Tasak, right? Tasak, or Taskak. And it means to mock or laugh or scorn and to laugh as if God's no God anymore. That's what it really means. The Israelites drank and had all sorts of games going on. We'll look into detail here. And had no concern that they were indeed doing so in front of God who knew and had seen it all. Here's the next verse, Exodus 32, 7, 8. God says to Moses, this is up the mountain. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down. For your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. There's no things that's corrupted them. They've corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a, a moulded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, small g, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is the same thing that many of the Corinthians were doing. Mocking God as if they had just forgot everything they'd done. Mocking God to satisfy their own fleshy desires. We can even in ourselves stand with some false righteous pride. Just in case you think it's major here. Oh, like, oh no, I would never do that. I, I've never done an extreme. No, but we can stand with some false religious pride when we look upon them that have really stumbled and forget that we're all capable of rising and playing and mocking God when we pursue things other than God. It might have no led to some extremely major. But if you're worshipping anything that's other than God or making that an idol or coming to a worship service or sitting in the body of the church and playing all listen I, I'm saying this here I'm not saying this is how we live I'm just sharing the dangers of this here okay if somebody comes here for the first time like, I can't get back to that church they're all after he, the pastor told them 
the chances are high we are. Well, it's back to that. I never know as bad as what we think we are. We're much worse. <laughs> and God's much greater. So sometimes we maybe, I know as a believer, we can, we can have this pious, high and mighty, well, I've not done that. No, but what else did you make an idol? What else did you make an idol? What else did you go and play? Oh, well, I never done that. I, I, I never committed that. I never done anything major. No, no, but so that makes you feel good about what you've done. But what happens if we're acting on Christ-like? Judgmental? Selfish? Not any different. Is that no still playing and still mocking and still laughing? You know, when it, the, the, that word in the Hebrew, it's the same word as when God said to Sarah, you'll have a child. Ha <laughs> ha, don't, don't be an idiot. It's that. It's telling God, who are you? Don't, don't talk rubbish, God. Don't talk rubbish, God. I'll go and do what I want to do and I'll be all right. We think we're escaping because we measure it against them who are really entangled, don't we? Sometimes we do that. Oh, I heard Jeff Kingswood saying at a conference one time, he says, it's dead easy to look upon, I'll paraphrase, look upon others as severe sins. I think we would never do that when we're still got other lesser ones going on. We think, well, I don't need to escape. I'm still standing. <laughs> I've, I've fell, but I'm, I'm still acting as if I'm standing because, because what I've done is nothing compared to that. Yet you're in that being tangled in false worship, gossip, judgmentalism. Faking how you're no idol worship when you're idol worship. I'm no idol worship. I'm trying to get my family together. Really? I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm just having recreational fun. Really? Really? That's wonderful. We can rise for the pure brothers and sisters and go out and play all sorts of mocking games and simply think, well, I'm not that bad. Well, it's still idolatry nonetheless. And this is where the subtleties come in. Just because it's no glaring like the golden calf, which is very glaring, isn't it? The golden calf is really glaring. Just because it's no glaring doesn't mean to say it's no idolatry. Just because it's no shining in gold and looks hideous and is clear to see doesn't mean it's no. The final few words in the verse says that. God will make a way of escape. Therefore, he says in verse 14, which won't get into much, but I'll fear it. Therefore, my beloved, verse 14, flee from idolatry. Therefore, my beloved. He's talking about believers here. I'm not saying non-believers here. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Run from false worship. Run from idols. Paul, at the start of verse 14 onwards, has concluded the question in chapter 8. It's amazing how he does this. And I don't have time to get into it. He's just, he's went through chapter 8. He's went right through that. And come halfway through chapter 10, after he shared all that, he just brings it back in. It's genius. Genius. 1 Corinthians 8.1 Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. In chapter 8, Paul says, nothing is wrong in eating certain things. That's what he's saying, right? And this is what I'll conclude with in the few minutes I've got left. There's nothing wrong with eating things. Remember we talked about in chapter 8? 
Some new believers are going, well, we can't eat that because pagans eat it, okay? Pagans eat that meat, oh, we can't eat it. There's nothing bad, it's not what comes into a man, it defiles him, it's what comes out. But what Paul then goes on and says, as we remember in chapter 8, is, is you shouldn't cause somebody to stumble. If somebody's got a problem that, you shouldn't do it. There is no liberty. I'm just having a pint and I'm an alcoholic. I'm just having a pint because I've not got a problem with it. He's got a problem with it. Consider that as what they're saying. No, I know you know there's nothing in it, but they don't know yet that yet. So I've become all things to all men that what? I may want some. So it's, it's okay if we're liberty in what we do that's not a big deal. But what if it causes either us or others to stumble? You may be a believer, and listen to this here, you may be a believer that's more mature than your, your husband or your wife. And what you do that's dead easy to you becomes an idol to them. You do it because you need to go messages. They do it because they're escaping. Do you understand? It's that subtle. And for the last few minutes, I've got to talk about these subtleties because see as you start to mature as a believer, brothers and sisters, the devil's not going to get you with majors, okay? He's going to get you in the subtleties, okay? Best way to describe this in a, is the devil doesn't show up in blonde hair and a short skirt. <laughs> we are forking and I, he shows up in something else, right? So temptation, temptation is not going to be a fork in horns. It's always something much more subtle than that. You're easy, somebody else's nightmare. I'm just going to Morrison's for messages, somebody else's escapism. I'm just going to get a new shirt for somebody else that's running away from reality. For us it might be running away from reality eventually, you keep doing it. And that's where I want to go anyway. So it's not necessarily wrong, is it? That's what Paul's kind of saying. Not necessarily wrong. No, certain things they were doing in, in Israel. No, they want to offer sacrifice. That's not necessarily wrong. That's how they go about it. But it becomes a great hindrance. Or at least to some becoming a great hindrance. Let me give you an example. Is there anything wrong with going and watching football? Okay, we're not in legalism here. Some of the big mistakes in the church in the past is, is legalism became a real problem. Let me just explain this and I wrote a post about it. Legalism becomes a real problem. So in the church, maybe a hundred years ago, Church of Scotland was right for a bit. I'm just, I'm, it's worldwide, but let's just talk about Scotland here. Behaviour was greater than study. So as long as you turn up at church with your wee picture hat on, and your nice wee dress, and your wee Bible under your arm, and your nice wee person, you were doing okay. No, you didn't watch the telly on Sunday, you wouldn't make a roast on a Sunday, you wouldn't put your wings on the swings on the Sunday, you wouldn't put the telly on the Sunday. It's legalism, okay? It's a false religion because what it done is it sent people into a false sense that they were actually walking with God when they weren't walking with God at all. No, many of these people are biblically illiterate. Biblically illiterate. But they've got legalism. They're able to turn up and go and say the right things and do all the right things and lovely. Nice wee Christian couple. Biblically illiterate. Didn't he turn their tail on? Didn't he do that? Made sure they didn't do that. The northeast is a wash with it. That's why I'm dead popular in that area. It's a wash with that stuff. And it's absolutely sickening. Because it, it, it creates a false sense of religion that doesn't exist. 
where behaviour is much greater than... Greater is so much greater. Yeah. You know, just turning up. They know the right wee worldly things is much greater than your own personal devotion and overcoming. That's why it's awash with gossip. Yeah. Gossip. Rife. Doesn't matter if you gossip because that's, I'm still turning up with my nice wee hat on and my wee thing and nice. It's legalism. Suffered for it in this area, Church of Scotland, rife with it. People had to run away for it. And then what's happened with the Church of Scotland is not many of that is because of the legalism. When it was behaviour, there was no really any depth and growth in, the, in, the, in people's sanctification. And look where we are 100 years down the line. So here's an example. Is it wrong to go to football? Back then, they were saying, can he do that? Oh, can he do that? John Murray, my probably, probably, one of my great heroes of the faith, took, took the Sabbath very seriously. He would never have done things in the Sabbath that he shouldn't have done. Like when he watched the telly on the Sabbath, when he did that, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Okay, he wouldn't do that. No. But he, he got flung out of the church because he wouldn't go on a bus on a Sunday to church. Because it would mean that a guy would need to work and he didn't, want, he didn't think it was right that he would lead somebody that had possibly sinned by working on the Sabbath. But the reason he got flung out of church is other people were getting the bus to come to the service to take communion. And the synod, the, 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 the church body says, you're causing them to sin. He says, no, 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 no. I'm not, my conscience is clear. I'm going to allow them to take communion if they go on a bus. That's not up to me. I'm just not wanting to go on a bus. Not the same thing. Anyway, I'm getting caught up with that stuff. So, going to the football is not a sin, correct? Would you agree? Unless you go to watch Motherwell. <laughs> Honestly. They are the most aggressive, unhappiest, fan-hating fans I have ever met. I've never met fans who hate their own team so much as Motherwell fans. I've never met it. I've been to games and I've nearly great for the players. I've wanted to go in the park and go, leave the lane. Leave the lane. We know they're rotten. We know they're rotten. Leave them alone. You've been too hard on them. I've seen guys, I've seen a football, a multiple football player getting subbed after Kimonas are subbed because they couldn't handle the persecution that was coming for the sidelines for a game of football. So it's no sin to go and watch football. Right, we'd agree. No sin to go and watch football. No sin to go to the cinema. I suppose it depends what film you go and see. However, when that thing, and this is where the subtlety come in, when that thing that you do draws you away from the things and the ways of God, that's when it becomes a sin, and that's when you need to escape. Because now you're seeking pleasure, but you've called it family recreation time. You see? You're seeking it me time. You're seeking it, I've had a hard week at work, I've got to have some chill time. All right, okay, where's God? Oh, geez. I left him in the church on Sunday. To seek pleasure in it more than when we'd be seeking to worship God. That's, that's the subtlety of going from that to an idol. Let me say this, recreational things are fine. Recreational therapy is no fine. Okay, there's a big difference. I used to call it, I love retail therapy. That's sick, that's a sin. Retail therapy's a sin. I don't need therapy, I've got God. 
I'm just going for some repeal. Why do you need therapy? What's wrong with you like? What's wrong with you that God's not doing it? Gonna have to go and buy a new shirt. Fine. Gonna have to go and buy a new jacket that you desperately don't need. Becomes a bit of a problem if you, you don't get a grip of it. Jacket. Jacket. Hanging there, 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 I've seen the lot lost me there. Jacob. Recreational things are fine, aren't they? And this is, this is, this is, as I conclude here in the last few minutes, this is the danger as we get into this year that, no one as God continues to teach us through his word, that this is going to be the greatest danger in your life this year. Because see, the thing is, the majors won't catch you anymore. You've been in church too long, you've been doing well, great. It's in the other things, it's in the subtleties. Recreational stuff's alright. Gone shopping's fine. Gone shopping that leads to escapism's no fine. Going to the cinema's fine. Using it for your soul case to entertainment and joy and pleasure and connection is no fine. And it's leading Mary as than any leading more is than any sin. Doing things with your family is fine. Doing things with your family is another way to find in peace out with God and joy and security is no fine. Going shopping is fine. Going shopping is feeding your flesh and escaping because you can't handle reality and it allows you to shut off with pain is no fine. The subtleties is where the damage comes and it causes us not to look at the escape exit and stay in the vicinity of the temptation. Just stay there. There's no temptation. No, no, there were an exit sign there. It's escapism. At least the escapism. I just like that. Oh, really? Really? Okay. It's temptation. And this is what was happening in Corinth. 23,000 fell in one day. You think, ah, but I, I, so I've no way to have a life. No, I mean, that's, that's some of the nonsense I hear for Christians is frightening. So I've no way to have a life. I, I was, a life in Christ, not enough for you, like. I know we're setting the bar really high. So I've no way to have a life. Ah, oh, you can have a life. But Motherwell's no God. And surely there's a better team than that that you could pick the name. If you were going to pick a God, sorry. It's nonsense. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Motherwell's no God. What about the state of this? What about the state of Western Central Scotland during an old firm game? It's pathetic. It's a game of football. You're a believer. Grow up. Really? Talking three weeks later about a penalty that wasn't your penalty. Who cares? You've obviously not been in your Bible. What is wrong with you? Anger. The phone in. <laughs> It's embarrassing grown men. <coughs> and listen, you think, oh, like, listen to them. Believers do it as well. I've seen it. Some guys, this is it. This is how pathetic it is. I can't watch it. It's too much. It's too much for me. Really? I can't watch it. It's too much for you. I can't watch it. It's too much for me. I can't. Really? That, 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 that. You have, you have, you have, you have seen an exit. There's been a big exit there, and you have turned the lights out, and you've you're right around temptation now because now it's full blown, full blown escapism. Do you understand the subtleties there? 
Now you might, I'm, I'm saying that with men with football, women take me shopping, gossip, all sorts of stuff, cooking, planning, buying kitchen apparatus, I don't know, nails, clairs, whatever that is, hair extensions. I'm, I'm, I, listen, I'm not trying to be mockery here because I know we're it's, 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 this, is a, this is serious. This is serious. 23,000 fell in one day. When you thought, I could have just... It was recreational. Wasn't it recreational? It was a substitute for God. The Corinthians didn't know start doing things wrong. This is where entrapment starts. Where did it start? It started with that. Where did it start? There. But we should be alarmed if things move us any more than God moves us. You understand? If anything moves you, if a bad result moves you more than God, you are in trouble. The Corinthians didn't start doing things wrong because Paul taught them. As did Apollos. They didn't start doing things wrong. They, they, they had the right foot and amazing teachers. Imagine, who's your pastor? Who's your pastor? Apostle Paul. Who's your next pastor? We had Apollos, wisest man. One of the greatest wise men. Who else you have? We Priscilla and Aquila. Who else you have in the future? We've got Timothy. You had all the teachers. You had all the amazing teachers. And you still went there. It's so when that was being taught starts to be stretched as a problem. Start to lose its purpose. Communion's a wonderful, powerful thing. Time's gone. Glad I never went to 14, eh? But when we stop taking it with the right fencing and the right preparation, it will be abused. Desiring to worship God is wonderful. Making worship something else is no. Today we see teaching as worship is almost anything. You know, one of the worst things that we're doing a day in churches. You can worship and pray anyway. This is what they say. This is the modern church. Worship's anything. We're, we're hugging a tree. Worship's anything. You don't need to be in church. You can be in the house. You can do that. You know part of the great battle. And the part of the great problem that happened in Corinthians was. Is when they were breaking bread and starting to take it in the house. And what they were doing is. is they were losing all sight of the, the righteousness and the holiness of it. And they would go up and play for the table. Because there was no accountability. Go on and praying before you go and do what you want. Justifying things that are sinful. Because you don't think they're deeply meaningful. Just because it's no deeply meaningful doesn't mean to say it'll not become a trap. It meant nothing to me. Didn't you love them? Don't you have anything deep going on? Go to get my stuff in. No, to live, the list is endless. It's what many, many do what John Owen calls it. This is what he says. You've heard me saying this in prayer meetings. We find perplexing reasons why it's all right. You ever do that? You find a perplexing reason why it's justifiable in your own mind. Therefore, escape, escape's no necessary. Because <laughs> you've got a perplexing reason why you need to stay. I'm no idol worship. Just trying to grow my relationships. I'm not idol worship. Just having a bit of fun. No heaven. No worship. 
Just throwing my day off with work. No idol worship. Just looking to connect deeper with my husband and my wife. I'm no idol worship. Just trying to have a healthy family. The subtlety's endless. And the longer we walk this walk, the more we'll be tempted by subtleties. I know some that's hitting you in the face. The bottom line is, when we do what the world uses as a God, listen to this, and I will close here. Thanks, Fraser, come up and give people hope. Right? <laughs> when we use what the world uses as a God, you be very careful. When we use what the world uses as their God, does the, does the world, does many in the world think Rangers is God? Yeah. Does many in the world think Celtic's God? Does many in the world think Louis Vuitton's God? Okay. Does many in the world think fine dining's God? The list is endless, isn't it? See, if the world treats it as a God, you better realise it's a dangerous thing. <laughs> it's a dangerous thing because you overindulge in it and it'll become yours as well. The bottom line is, when we do what the world uses as God, will soon if not truly vigilant become part of the same idol worship Charles Hodge says this the only real safety is by keeping at distance anything that excites evil passions or which snares the soul end quote God has given us an escape plan a way not to be tempted by beyond what we can handle some of you are maybe in this morning we're thinking are you listening you know, I, I'm not quite connecting with God. I, I don't have that meaningful relationship. I, I don't know why it's not there. Maybe for some of you, the answers this is, what do you do to escape? Are you escaping into the Word? Are you escaping into study and into prayer? Are you escaping into the world? You're known in a neat battle. It's common to all men to face temptation. But the choice is, do we choose the escape route? Let me conclude with this. This is my conclusion. Thomas Manton in his sermon entitled Worldly Lusts. What about that for a title? It's not even called Worldly Lusts. It's called And Worldly Lusts. It's in Titus 2.12. And Manton is an amazing. I love, Char I love Thomas Manton. And when we go to the prayer meeting on Tuesday, this is where we'll be gone. So this is a wee precursor for it. And worldly lusts. This is what he says. All their esteem, all their restless projects are to exalt themselves and set themselves up. And so they set their hearts as the heart of God. As that they think, speak and do. Is to set the idol of self, their own worldliness and esteem. And Martin says the greatest idol they will ever have is us. Because <laughs> we want to be worshipped. Martin has some great advice on sin by excess. Sin by excess. Meaning there's certain things in your life that's a necessity. But see when you use them in excess, they become sin. By that he means sins that are born from natural desires and needs. This was the problem with the Corinthians. It was right to take communion, it was wrong to take it that way. It was right, nothing wrong with eating meat, but it was wrong to do it that way. And the problem was is that sins are born from natural desires. 
Most sins are born from natural desires. But we've started to obsess on them and use them out with their proper function. Martin says, sins are born from natural desires and needs to be, needs that to become obsessed with and they need to be used out with their natural function. That's what happens. This is what he writes. And I will close here. Here men do ordinarily sin by desiring things otherwise than that they should and more than what they should and not for the cause in what they should. Now these natural desires are necessary desires. I'll pause now. Having relationships, having recreation, connecting with people, compassion, having love, showing affection. They're natural, eh? Oh, natural. Now these natural desires are necessary desires and are not to be extinguished. And here's the battle. If I don't drink alcohol, I'll be all right. If I don't eat, I'll die. <laughs> but what if I don't eat right? Sin by excess. Desires are not to be extinguished, but to be governed by honesty. Do you hear that? To be governed by honesty. Honesty must restrain them, it says. Do you know what restrains you for enjoying a football game? For becoming a lunatic and it becoming an idol, honesty. Do you know what excludes you having friendship with somebody to turning into lustful thoughts? Honesty. To, to, you see what becomes having friendship and fellowship and uniting a family and growing a family. For actually trying to make you feel more secure because you feel rejected. Honesty. Honesty must restrain them that they don't exceed their bounds. Going shopping's all right. Going shopping to make it another God because you're escaping's no. It exceeds their bounds and so degenerate. Lest the desire is turned into lust. This is what will happen when it becomes escapism. This is what happens when you use it with its proper function. It turns into a lust. And then it says, and it's vehemency, meaning it's potency. The potency of that lust that started with just an innocent idea, an innocent thought, the potency of the escapism or the, the lack of godliness in doing it, the potency in that, he says, the vehemency, it starts to withdraw the heart from God. End quote. I'd love to conclude with something more exciting and uplifting. But that's it. We're not always looking for something to be exciting and uplifting. We sometimes need something that's sobering. And that's how it is. I prefer it because I need it. We have to live a life and we have to learn for the Corinthians. This is why he says as we move on in, in chapter 11, all things are permissible. But not beneficial. I can't do it. But I have to put myself in a position, is it helpful? And if it's no helpful, I need to run. Brothers and sisters, you who don't yet know God, you who don't yet know God, are constantly selling yourself ideas that it's no evil and it's no wicked and it's no sinful. I had a chat with a couple of dear brothers and sisters the other day. 
And I say, you need to stop teaching your young people that they're brilliant people who the devil wants to destroy. Bad teaching. You're amazing. God's got an amazing gift for you. Don't let the enemy steal it. No, 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 no. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's no accurate teaching. Accurate teaching is you're a wicked sinner and you're totally depraved. And without God's grace in your life, you're doomed. It's not that you're good and the devil's bad. It's that you're bad and the devil will use you if you don't get God in your life. That's where we're at. And he'll do it through subtleties. And these subtleties will lead to a temptation that we can't yield for. And that temptation will entrap us. And it'll lead to loss. And we'll turn our hearts away from God. And his heart away from us. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Thank you.